0: Morning, New Life. What a what a great morning, huh? Anyone uh, feeling the effects of losing an hour of sleep from daylight savings? You know, we might have a few people coming in at eleven and just taking communion. So we'll see. Uh, we exist as a community that gathers around the good news that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again, that we might truly have new life um, here at New Life. So my name is Young, pastor here at New Life, and it's great to be with you again. Uh, We've been in a series, if you've been with us over the last few months, through the first letter of Corinthians, but this is the second sermon of a two-week break uh, from Corinthians. We'll be back in Corinthians next week, but before we do, uh, we recently talked a little bit about walking in faith, and I'm sure the question has naturally arose in your mind, how do we walk in faith? Because it, it seems like a statement that we like to make, you know, we walk in faith, but what does that actually entail? So, Um, Hopefully, this psalm will help to uh, find the answer. How about a pray for us? Father, we turn to you because you have the answers. You have the answers that we don't. Uh, Indeed, you have the answers that we think that we have. We turn to you because you know the way. Uh, You know the way for us to go. You know the way before we've even taken steps and so we ask, Lord, uh, that you would lead us in this journey. We gather together as a community, um, wanting to believe, wanting to know you, wanting to live out our faith in you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would guide us, that you would guide these words into our hearts. Indeed, uh, that you would write the scripture directly onto our hearts that we might be able to live it out. We long to be the man that's described in this psalm. And we long to be like a tree planted by living waters. And so we ask that you would do this work in us now. Would you be with us? Uh, Would you be with those that are uh, physically ill as well, Lord? Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would just bring healing upon them. And we pray especially for the spiritually sick, for those that don't know you yet, that you would open up their eyes that they might see and open up their ears that they might hear. We pray for our loved ones, uh, those that are far, those that are near, because you care for all of them equally And we ask, Lord, that you would speak these words to them as well. Would you be with us, would you be with us in the preaching of the word today, in our prayers, in all of our singing, in all that we do as we gather together, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, I mentioned last week that Jonas is a year old now. Um, He, it's a very exciting time, you know, I still can't believe it when I wake up in the morning and I see him looking at me that he's a year old. Um, and as he learns and grows, I've thought back over a few of the milestones that I've seen along the way. Um, I learned that it's really important for them to you know, do their little neck exercises and lift up their heads. And I also learned how important it is for him to first learn how to sit up. And right now, he's pulling himself up the stand, he's grabbing onto everything and just standing up, and then, unfortunately, falling over again. More like... And I know that the next step, the next natural step for him is to learn how to walk. And Psalm one introduces us to this concept as well. So look with me at verse one. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. So you see it there as well, walk, stand, and sit. It's built into the very fabric of who we are as humanity. That we must first learn how to sit in order for us to stand, just like my baby, and to stand in order to walk. When the Bible talks to us about walking in faith, as mentioned in previous sermons, this brings up some important images in the Jewish minds of those uh, that hear this phrase. Literally, the word that's being used here is halach. okay? You don't have to say it, but you have masks on, so you can say it if you want. Uh, You get a little bit of spit coming out. It means to walk. And the way we walk calls to mind the paths that we take. The way we walk calls to mind the paths that we take, the life that we live, the death that we die. So the way we walk comes to be known as the way we behave as well in the Hebrew mind. This is what comes to mind when they hear that phrase, walk, the daily walk the walk of faith is the way that they behave. And so it comes to also represent all of Hebrew law. When they, when they talk about the halakha, this is talking about all of Hebrew law. We can think of it this way. We walk not just as a means of transportation from where we are to where we're going, but we walk because it's participation with the way we walk and who we walk with. So the book of Psalms is an invitation to us, to this way of walking. It's a participation between God and humanity. After all, the Psalms are not only songs, but also prayers, and the prayer book of God's people. So when you read through the book of Psalms, these are the words that you pray as well. Now as a prayer book, this this Psalm invites us to humble ourselves, The book of Psalms invites us to humble ourselves as Jinn prayed before service, to be repentant and to encounter God as we experience the way that he meets our needs. When we pray for our needs, we encounter him because he is meeting our needs. So we learn that only in receiving can we possibly know him. It's not about what we offer up to God. That's not how we come to know God. We come to know God by receiving. Now the Psalms are not a way to try to get what we want from God. Okay? Even as I say that we receive from God, it's not a way for us to try to twist his arm into something. You know what we used to do as children with our parents, right? You know, We'd whine, we'd grab hold of their feet, you know we'd beg. Historically, this is the way that people see faith sometimes. This is the way that people view these kinds of things like worship, liturgy, prayer, the tools that we've been given. We tend to think of these things and turn these things into this idea that the more or the better that we do these things, the more likely that God is to listen to us and give us what we want. But this is not the case. Psalms is not a tool for us to twist God's arm into something. No, Psalms... And Psalm 1 in particular, it prepares us as worshipers of God to not only participate with Him in His eternal life, but to invite Him to participate with us in our lives. One of the church fathers, Origin, uh, he thought of Psalm 1 as the great door to the whole of the building. He recognized that the Holy Spirit was the key to this great door. So we can only walk if we truly first sat in the company of God, made to stand by the righteousness of Christ that our hearts might house the Holy Spirit. And so, indeed, we have the key to the great building. Okay, so what is it? What does Psalm 1 tell us about this walk of faith? It tells us that there are only two ways to walk in this life. There's no third way. There's only two ways to walk in this life, And the way or the road that we walk on, it's characterized by certain choices or behaviors that we embody. Certain choices that we make and the behaviors that we live out. And there are consequences and rewards to this type of living. There's only two ways to live. And there's consequences and rewards on both of those paths. One way to think about it is that the things that we do end up shaping us. Often without us even realizing. Do you know this? And God is at the center of this, allowing for the way that we walk, the way that we behave, to wrap itself around us. It's like we have a cloak on the journey. You know, when you're really cold, you have a cloak, or maybe we don't have a cloak, we have a jacket, whatever it is, right? We wrap ourselves around, and then eventually, these things become a part of us, these behaviors that we allowed to wrap around us, it becomes a part of us to transform us through through the discipleship under this behavior. This is why the psalmist here warns us against even setting one foot along the wrong way. Otherwise, we might become hardened in our sin. The more we're exposed to something, we might first begin to tolerate this sin. And then we might start to sympathize and empathize with the sin until eventually we embrace this sin as one of our own. You might have heard of the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, or maybe it's too old. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where the good Dr. Jekyll. He tries to separate himself from the evil in his own heart by taking this potion. You know, he's a brilliant doctor, so he takes his potion. Whenever he does it, he becomes the evil Mr. Hyde. He's able to act out his evil desires and violence under this new persona. You know, he's changed in appearance, he's changed in name, and so he has no guilt or shame under his own name. So he's able to just do whatever he wants. But the more that he drinks this potion, the more addicted he becomes until finally one day he becomes Mr. Hyde even without taking the potion. To step foot in the walk in this way of living is to become that which we walk in. This kind of becoming is what we sit in. Those that walk eventually slow to a stand, once you run out of energy. And finally, you end up sitting alongside those that we would meet on whatever road that we've taken. So it works in reverse, too. We first learn how to walk by first sitting and standing, but the way that we walk also has strong implications on those that we stand alongside. Who you walk alongside determines who you stand alongside. It's the company that we sit with. Those that refuse, we read in the psalm, to join the wicked, the sinners, the mockers, they're called happy. You see it. Other translations, if you have them, they might say blessed. They might say fortunate because they're going to be counted as righteous and they'll live forever with God. Instead of listening to the advice of the wicked, or engaging with the behaviors of sinners and mockers. Here's what the happy do. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. God's people delight in his instructions. We read that in Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 1, verse 2. It's the covenant that God made with his people. This is what his instruction is. It's the word of God, which is Jesus himself. We meditate upon Jesus himself, the salvation that we have through him. For the mockers, the Lord's instructions feel oppressive. They'll look back at all the different verses that tell them don't do this, don't do that, all the things that they want to do as their Mr. Hyde hearts really want to cling on to. For the blessed, for the happy, the fortunate, we'll cling to Jesus, we'll cling to the freedom that we have in him. God's instructions give life. Because of this, we meditate on God's instructions, his covenant, his son, day and night. Now, meditation nowadays, um, it has all sorts of different connotations, but here's what it means in the Bible. Okay? So that word meditate, it's to think about. Okay? The Hebrew word is haggah. Okay? You can say that if you want, hagah. You don't have to say it, I guess, but I would like you to say it, okay? Can you say haga? (laughs) It's to think about, it's to ponder seriously, it's to consider the information. This is what meditation in the Bible means. It's a muttering in low tone, so it's a bit of onomatopoeia if you remember your high school English. It's a, a sound word, right? It's haga, haga, okay? This is like when you mutter in low tone. I don't know if you mutter like this, haga, haga, okay? While reviewing material. It's also the sound a lion makes when he growls and for how we might sound, once again, when we mutter in meditation. So next time that you are meditating on something, you can maybe just say, "ha" as you read something, okay? When we meditate on God's instructions, on the covenant that he made with us, on the way that he graciously gave us his son, we're transported from the normal way that we walk, from the way that we've been walking along this path, to God's way, the second way, the other way of walking. It's the opposite direction sometimes from the way that the world's been walking, but we're transported as we meditate upon God's word to a God-centered heart and a world that focuses on truth and moves us to praise him. This gives us life as we see in verse three. Read with me. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now this psalm, it was not written in Sydney, Australia. It was written in ancient Near East, where water meant life for those living in this very dry climate, you know, in the middle of a desert. So water means life to them. In this psalm, these flowing streams result in eternal life for the believer. It's a life that bears the fruit of true godliness. And the opposite is true of the wicked. Look at verses four to five. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And that's chaff that you see on screen behind me. Chaff, if you don't know, I didn't you know, really know before I studied the Bible as well. It's the protective outer casings of grains and straw It's a waste material that's usually left on the ground or burned away. And so you can see what the imagery is in that psalm. It's the opposite to the majestic, flourishing tree that we just read about, that the happy and blessed get to experience being. Chaff has no stability, no roots like a tree, so it gets blown away by any sort of wind. Certain destruction comes upon chaff in comparison to the eternal life of the unwithering tree. And just like that, the wicked sinners will not be able to stand in the judgment. How does all of this work? Is it some sort of power at work in the universe? Is it just a law that this world follows after God set it in motion? Or just our own good living, our good behaviors that results in these things? No, look with me at verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. It's God who determines the way. Scripture tells us it's God who determines the way because he's a a personal participant in each of our lives. He personally participates in each of our lives. He determines our steps. What we have here in English, it tells us that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. I don't really love that translation because there's a little bit lost in translation from the Hebrew. Watching over our way is just a small part of what's being communicated here. It's an intimate knowledge. It's a personal and active knowing of the way that we walk. It's a yada, okay? It's the same word that's used when Adam knows Eve intimately. It's a knowing personally and actively of our character and our lives. This is the God who participates with us. It's God's spirit that searches us, taking part in our lives, transforming us along the way. We've read in our series through 1 Corinthians already that the mind of Christ dwells in God's children, those who have received the Spirit of God. And what does the Spirit of God do? 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God because we are his children, because we have his spirit, we can know God's thoughts. It's precisely because God takes such personal interest in us in the way that we take that he provides the means for us to be transformed along the way. And in fact, he provides the way. John 14, 6 tells us, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Jesus, we find the good news that he has fulfilled the righteousness of the law for us. His spirit etches his law upon our hearts. It's God himself who determines our steps, who waters and nurtures and feeds us as well. When we read Psalm 1, when we meditate upon Psalm 1, this is the conclusion that we come to. That it's Jesus himself who is the way that we walk. Now, along with meditating on God's word, we can also be watered, nurtured, and fed by him through the communion as well. God makes the way accessible to all who are willing to follow him, for it's only by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that this way is made available to us. Jesus is the way. So what is the communion? In a moment, the ministry directors are gonna bring up the communion for us. The communion is an act of remembrance As we look into the past to see what Jesus did on our behalf in order to open up the way to the Father, that we might walk this way, the communion is a declaration of our continued dependence. For just as God's grace was what we needed for salvation, we still need his grace for a life of holiness today. Our walk, our day-to-day living as children of God. And so we receive the body and the blood of Jesus as a seal of that grace upon our lives. The communion is also a glimpse into the future as together we participate in the glimpse of the future day that we hope in, when we'll no longer have to simply just meditate, but we can walk alongside him physically. The marriage supper of Jesus and the church at our Lord's glorious return, when we will know fully just as we are known fully. Now, here at New Life, we celebrate and participate together in the communion on the first Sunday of each month. Now, hear the reading of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This passage is a great reminder for us that it's Jesus who bears our sins. We come to the table under his righteousness. We walk alongside him, and indeed, he is the way that we walk. If you call yourself a Christian, then I invite you, you must place your own feelings of unworthiness aside in order to approach the communion table. You must be able to take on Christ's all-sufficient worthiness as you take the communion. The communion is a nourishment for us who are unworthy. We're able to take the time to pray, to meditate, to reflect and examine ourselves, to confess and repent before God who gives us our righteousness and our new identity in Him. The communion is also a great way for us to invite newcomers to the table who have not yet received the Spirit to now place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If this is you, if this is you and you're here today, we ask that you trust in Jesus for your salvation and pray to God, asking him to open your eyes and to give you revelation regarding his son, Jesus, that you might also join us in coming forward and taking the communion. And please do make yourself known to us at the conclusion of the service that we can follow up with you. And New Life's Ministry Directors are going to come up now. Uh, They'll be at the front of each of these aisles. And we'll also have one who will be attending to the volunteers that are going to be here on stage, uh, the praise team, uh, the multimedia room as well, and the children's ministry, and also the parents in the parents' room. So the Ministry Director who is roaming uh, will also have gluten-free communion for those who have any sort of allergies. So if you do have allergies, we ask that you stay either uh, near the uh, parents' room or just follow the person who's roaming, who is... Okay. okay. Oh, he's actually got the gluten-free sign on there as well. Please do come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion, but uh, don't take it yet. But take it back to your seats and we'll wait for everyone to be served so that we can take it together.